call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 22 of Call It Friendo, the podcast where two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Ritchie, and my co-host, Donica Tiernan, watched two films released on VOD this year, Doug Lyman's Locked Down and Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson's Synchronic. As always, this podcast contains spoilers for both films right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find Donica on Instagram at MoneyWales, that's at M-U-N-N-Y-W-A-L-E-S to hear him ranting about films like a madman. You can find me, Andy J. Ritchie, that's Andy J-A-Y Ritchie, where I write film haikus for every film I watch. Uh, 17 syllables is about my limit. Also, please follow Call It Friendo Podcast on Instagram, like the Facebook page, leave a review on iTunes, or any or all of the above. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email at callitfriendopodcast at gmail.com. Now sit back and enjoy Ireland's eighth most popular film review podcast. So what have you been watching this week? Well, the only things I've watched apart from the films that we had to watch were two other Moorhead and Benson films, Resolution and The Endless. I watched Resolution just last night. Um, All right. Nice. I have seen Endless, but I I, I wanted to actually get up and watch it this morning. But uh, yeah, I didn't say normally I normally I wake up at like. Yeah, I'm disappointed in myself. Normally I would have woken up at about six and it would have been fine. But anyway, because it's a short one as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's only 90 minutes. And I, I finished off season four of The Shield at last, started season two Congratulations. Of, the, of The Deuce, the David Simon TV show about hookers and porn stars and stuff. I've only watched the first four episodes of season one because, I don't know, I just, I never really, I wasn't a massive fan. I'm sure it gets a lot better, but just having two James Francos was too many i was like that the first time around when i watched it as well i only got through the first six episodes and i just decided to give it its proper shout just because you know it's david simon i probably rewatched yeah. the wire in in the middle or something and then when i went back and watched it a second time i got really into it i really enjoyed it i am so uh yeah looking forward to this season of it also watched a, an unbelievable film yesterday called uh, waves have you seen waves no i've heard of it can you it's, remind me what that's about? So it is directed by a, a jock-looking individual, the fellow who'd made um, They Come at Night. So Waves is about a family that just goes through a very, very difficult year. It's directed by Trey Edward Schultz. For a film that mostly deals in like emotional states, it's a roller coaster. Like there are scenes in it where things are happening. Action is happening, let's say, but it's mostly just people going through stuff and it's like it'll take you places i really really enjoyed that and also resolution yesterday which um <laughs> it was is grim as fuck but anyway i did enjoy it i thought what was quite ingenious about the whole thing was the resolution is in the same universe as the endless there you know the endless is a kind of semi-sequel mm. to it and it's do they just they expanded their own universe in uh, a crazy way I won't be well equipped to speak so much about the endless this morning, unfortunately. But like, we will get to that when we're talking about a syn- synchronicity. Mm-hmm. Is that synchronicity? Synchronic. Synchronic shit. I've been calling it synchronicity. I recommended synchronicity to a bunch of people. <laughs> Isn't that something else? I feel like that's another time travel film. Oh, it probably is. Oh no. The the reason that they ended up making the endless in the end was because. Uh, the two people that were in the are in the cult in the resolution are of course Benson and Moorhead. So they figured, oh God, we can save a few nickels here. Yeah, we just expand uh, the story out and be the lead roles in the film. But uh, that was it. They, they couldn't uh, get, they couldn't get their few pennies to rub together to make it. So they said, let's. We need an idea about these people. And as I remember, I really enjoyed the endless. Yeah, it's solid. But it was not the winning film last week. No, sir. The winning film last week was, of course, this year's Locked Down. So I initially saw the posters for this floating around and thought it looked like a romantic comedy or just romantic film with the romantic leads being Chiwetel Ejiofor and Chloe Grace Moretz. I thought she looked like Chloe Grace Moretz. And I thought to myself, that's kind of gross. I'm not going to watch that. Really? That's what I thought. Then you brought it up and I said, oh, I guess we're watching it. And then the second I 
focused in slightly and saw Anne Hathaway's name, I cheered up. Just because she's old enough, really. But actually, it turns out I thought she was really great in this film. I kind of thought everybody was, and I'm going to... I haven't looked at any reviews uh, of this yet at all, but I I was watching it and feeling, I'm going to be defending this. Loads of people are going to shit on this, but I really... me, for stars. Oh, no. (laughs) I really, really enjoyed this. I really got a lot out of it. Oh, Um, my God. You hated it that much? Well, I wouldn't say I hated it, but I just felt absolutely pointless. Entitled middle-class cunts in London surviving lockdown going oh no my massive i'm in my trapped in my massive house it's completely tone deaf and and some of the cringiest parts like uh chiotella idiofor's character reading poetry and and Anne hathaway going out and doing the clap for the nhs and like in a kind of orgasmic frenzy Everything about that I just absolutely hated. It just made me cringe. I'll set the scene a little, first of all. So I believe Stephen Knight wrote this on a dare. You a fan of Stephen Knight stuff? Uh, Yeah, usually, although I think he should have selected truth this time. Okay, yes, fair enough. He he should have gone truth on this one. Um, But who wants to see that movie? I think this seems like the second one of his films that could have been written on a dare. Uh, Have you seen Locke? No, I actually want to see that. That sounds really good. In terms it is really of good. Just Tom Hardy driving around in a car, right? Yeah, yeah, it is really good. Tom Hardy's great in it. Also, yeah, yeah, Andrew Scott is in it all with also with a great voice performance as is Olivia Coleman. I really, really enjoy that film. Um, but again, it's just it's basically an experiment. Yeah, I remember uh, defending that film on a stag, no less, because the person was kind of criticizing it like it was a normal film. I mean, if you choose to watch a film that is explicitly all set in a car driving to, to trying to organize a concrete pour over the phone. I'm sorry, uh, but you... Spo- wait, spoilers. Spoilers for Locke. I didn't know anything about the concrete. And you'll probably... <laughs> That's it rude now. In, I don't want to watch it. In, in your mind now, based on the way you take my descriptions of films, now he's driving a concrete pourer. That, so you're going to be watching the whole film going, when's he going to get into the, the concrete yeah, when's pourer? when's he going to pour the concrete? <laughs> in the case of Lockdown... Considering the the what it is, maybe uh, like don't attack it on those terms because what it is is it is really aiming to make light entertainment out of the pandemic. I'd say that's fair, no? Yeah, but just who asked for this? Have you had a sift through the critical opinion? Are people more on your side or mine? I don't know. I uh, I think it's kind of rating about five out of ten. In most places. It is a good point and it's a good question. Who exactly asked for this? That is one question I have leading into it. And we will get to a summary rather soon. But what I'm wondering is, okay, something like this. This was picked up and premiered on HBO Max, yeah? And it's chock full of famous people who clearly, I don't know, just wanted to work. Is that the whole point of this? To just chuck out some famous people? I find it mad to think that, um, that this did get made. But then I suppose not not really that mad now that I think about it. It's just, I, I don't know, it is what it is. This is a COVID movie. The next COVID movies that, like, and when I say a COVID movie, I'm not talking about, about COVID. I'm talking like really, very much released for these formats for people to watch it at home. And I suppose that might be the reason they tried to round up so many celebrities because that is a an attraction factor in it, no? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, obviously you need to have certain number of crew workers working on something like this and they previously spent a period of time without doing anything because this was made in september i want to say so you've managed to wrangle a bunch of people and put them to work but i don't know like you said a a lot of the most famous people in it are probably just zooming (laughs) just they're just zooming in from home i think the only zoom person who makes a physical appearance is Mark Gatiss um, and then everybody else remains on Zoom pretty much. Well, which which means you can use you can utilize people like Ben Stiller um, mm. on the other side of the world and you don't actually need to do much with them. I mean, better starring in lockdown than singing Imagine with Gal Gadot is what I'll say. This is like the film version of that to me. No, this is just it's an not. extended. OK, it's not as bad as that, but tonally it has similar elements. But it's funny because Chiwetel Ejiofor was that character was originally going to be played by Killian Murphy, and that's a completely different film. Yeah, I would say so too. Actually, why why do you think it would be completely different? I don't know. There's something about the interracial couple probably makes it a bit more interesting. With Killian Murphy, it would just be you'd absolutely be looking at these two people, just going, "You cunts." 
<laughs> well, actually, interestingly, I'll put it, I, my, the way I think it would be a different film would have nothing to do with race, Andy, being honest with you. I just think Chiwetel Ejiofor looks like a movie star and Killian Murphy looks like a crazy person. I think Killian Murphy's an extremely good looking dude, but I think one of the things that contributes to his Hollywood allure is the fact that he does have a look of the crazies about him. I think that's just your anti-Irish bias. Do you think? Self-hating Irishman. <laughs> <laughs> could be could be because yeah he do, like he does look like a, a head the ball that i would cross the street to avoid in cork <laughs> city to be quite honest one part of this that didn't doesn't make sense is a uh, to for referring to his past as a biker we'll get into it yeah we'll, we'll get into it right now actually okay so paxton and linda normally i don't remember characters names but paxton's name seems to get shouted a lot people are always yeah, shouting at paxton, paxton. <laughs> they're a couple living in london during the lockdown uh, they no longer sleep in the same room they're not happy together and it's made plainly clear in the opening of the film that they're going to be separating as soon as lockdown lifts but we also learned that this is early on in lockdown and um, one of the reasons we definitely know it's early on in lockdown is we get to see the nhs applauses be born which were of course a, sent a sentiment of early lockdown optimism this is the most pro nhs film i've ever watched which is nice but it has like richard curtis vibes it definitely throughout. has richard curtis vibes yeah that maybe that's one of the reasons i liked it not a Richard Curtis fan, Andy? Yeah, yes and no. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of the, the one with Donald Gleeson. What's it called? Um, oh, I hate time. that. I that hate really that. irked me. Oh, that's yeah, one I'm, of them. I'm, I'm not opposed to some Richard Curtis wankery. I, I find About Time to be one of the most irksome films I've ever seen. Yeah. I watched it. I hated it. And somebody convinced me to watch it again, just that maybe I had got it wrong. And I remember thinking... Just 30 minutes into it, just, oh, fuck them. Fuck that person. Yeah. And I turned it yeah. off. It's a, it's a terrible film. Yeah, it's made clear that Paxton and Linda, Linda played by Anne Hathaway, who, as I said, I really liked in this film, are going to are going to break up once lockdown is over. Now, she would have had to flown in to, to film this, surely, no? I assume so. I don't think her and Chiotel Ejiofor are in a relationship. So <laughs> I'm guessing she wasn't in country at the time. Yeah, yeah. You'd wonder why they... Well, I suppose maybe they had nobody famous enough in England at the time. Yeah, you know. they could have used someone local. I mean, they had Ben, uh, ben Kingsley playing a Don Logan character. <laughs> right, that was interesting. We learned particularly that Paxton is um, really unsatisfied with life, given that he, got, he, he can't evolve in his position, his professional position, beyond delivery truck driver due to uh, being arrested for an assault 10 years prior. Although we do find out it was something more like Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse would have done. Yeah, which kind, it, kind was, of a, it was one of those good assaults. Anyway. He be commended. Yes, indeed. You know, he's got himself a nice white wife, is how you would uh, see it, Andy. Yeah, so. that's, ex that's exactly correct. I, I am an intersectionalist. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I view all films. Through the, through the prism of race. The thing is, what I think you might be angling towards with hating these people is this film suffers from something many films set in london suffer from which yeah. is that you're looking at their place going there's no way what i'm supposed <laughs> to feel sorry for people who live in that place in london excuse yeah, basically me basically that that's it i just think it's out of touch with how most people experience lockdown mm. and london i would say yeah, you know? yeah, also, yeah. The city of London—they tend to show this ridiculous middle class. It's not. I don't know if it's even middle class at this point. Like, no, no, the that's upper class. That they need to be, yeah, yeah, yeah. The amount of money you need to be earning to live there is insane. And he is barely employed. Driver. Yeah, and she is crushing her corporate job. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. But like, I, I don't She's like. She's killing it. Yeah, she is. But at the same time, I don't buy them affording that house. No, um, yeah, off of one salary and a bit. And that is one thing that kind of jars a little bit because it would be fine if it was just pure Richard Curtis. But then once they inject the sort of Zoom calls into it, even though the Zoom calls are all to super famous people, it kind of um, just brings you back to reality because we've all been on Zoom a lot. We're on Zoom right now. And that kind of, that did that did knock it a little out of uh, out of me. But ultimately, then I was able to get back on board with it just because I I was I don't know it just seemed sort of a 
fun little fairy tale. For me, like the film was just ticking all the lockdown boxes of, you know, they've got, okay, we've got Zoom. We're like, hey, what's this whole Zoom thing? They having to survive Zoom calls, just uh, the feeling of being tra- trapped with another person kind of going through they're like oh alcohol i'm drinking a lot more i'm taking up smoking again uh clapping for the nhs frustrated dancing like listening to music on on headphones and expressing yourself and oh i can't sleep it's like it's it's just going through all these things that we all we all know but it doesn't it doesn't do anything like if the film had come out in march or something <laughs> at the time it might have been something, but even in the UK, you know, like people's response to the whole clap for the NHS thing has completely evolved because the other day when Captain Tom, the the hundred year old man who raised money for the NHS, when he died, the government wanted us to do another clap. I'm not in the UK, by the way, I'm mm. in Italy, but yeah, the, the, the UK government wanted people to clap. And I think the general response was like, fuck off. <laughs> so <laughs> like in the UK, we've already reached People have gone full circle around to that point where they're like, fuck off, just get it over with. In, and that's in, how I felt about this film. But I also think, uh, Andy, it's a bit rich you getting you getting annoyed <laughs> at, a fil- at a film called Locked Down, ticking off the lockdown boxes. Why were the characters locked down? I don't get it. Why, <laughs> I, I, was, I, thought this, I thought this film was going to be about a gorilla. we see that in yeah linda in her uh, ceo job just absolutely crushing it as you said before with some people i semi recognize and then mark gatiss who i definitely did recognize but then she lets them all go she fires them all uh over the over the zoom which is uh, rough stuff really but sure we don't really know any of them so we don't feel that sorry for them i think except for mark gatiss Except for Marquetas, who we see coming back at the end, thank goodness. Then, in a mad twist, not a mad twist, okay, in just a plot that there was no reason to understand. Is that fair to say? She's able to steal a diamond. So, all right, you mean like the whole film? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. The the mad plot, which is the, the majority of the film. So, so it's learned. Yeah, yeah. The reason I'm bringing this up is because Belen kept asking me to explain it, and I kept on saying, <laughs> "Look, you don't, you don't need to know what's happening. It, you don't. They can, they can steal it. It's like it's explained some way. They seem to be clearing out Harrods, right? Which I thought was a good opportunity for them to shoot inside an empty Harrods. Pretty much, I thought. Like, I, I think with with so many moves in this movie. Stephen Knight is going, well, what can we do in lockdown? What would be what would be cool to see in lockdown? So it, it kind of comes up that she will be able to steal a diamond and she's juggling this over. Beca- and the reason she's she w- will be able to steal a, di- uh, steal a diamond, I think, is that Paxton gets hired by his by his company to do some security driving. Don 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 fucking don. Yeah, cuz b- basically Ben Kingsley comes along and um gives Paxton this job to it seems to be uh, transport some big ass diamond to the airport. He has to do it under a fake name. They give him the name Edgar Allan Poe, which was uh, a stupid joke in the film that annoyed me yes, whenever it, whenever yes, it resurfaced. Yes. The joke that they were going for there, it could have been done. But I don't know, Edgar Allan Poe? No, no, no. Something else, yeah, something maybe, I don't know, something less annoying. Slightly less famous, like a name that people people wouldn't immediately go, well, no, that's a famous writer. Like people who have never seen a book know what Edgar Allan Poe is, you know what I mean? We find out that he would be the driver taking away this uh, diamond that Linda has to transport out of Harrods. So it's kind of set in motion that they can decide between the two of them over the course of a day or so whether or not they will steal this diamond um, but they're still breaking up and that is a fact now a number of things happen over the next few days and that's pretty much the movie first of all i want to dig into uh, so they've got some friends that they talk to on zoom sometimes that she maybe had a lesbian experience with one of them yes well so the guy is julie hill from the west wing looking like daniel kaluuya now for some reason uh is that aged. charlie from the west and wing his, yeah 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 and his wife in the film is his uh, real wife in real life, which, nice. which I can only imagine that that means that that actress had a real lesbian experience with Anne Hathaway. Nice. Also, I think the only reason that this couple exists is so that we don't need a narration track. No. Yeah. Which they should have 
brought in the narrator. I would have appreciated that. Yeah, but instead they're narrating what's going on in their heads via this the Zoom calls to their friends. Right. Which, yeah, yeah, is a de- it's a device. It's a lockdown Richard Courtesy device, which you obviously hated, but I could see why they did well, it. Other things we find out, he's going to sell his bike. He used to be a biker type fella, and he's going to sell his bike. He shouts poetry at the street. She drinks ugh. a lot. He hasn't drank in a long time, but he takes some opium that he finds in his garden. But it's at those moments that I, I kind of like the film more because of its sort of meandering nature. I mean, that contributes nothing to the plot, him smoking garden heroin, does it? Well, just uh, we're seeing that he's obviously struggling with lockdown, but that just felt, felt again like it was ticking off those boxes. Also, it might give some sort of idea into how much he feels like he's changed since he was younger and maybe not for the best because he's lost his dangerous desperado vibe that he tries to, uh, Fair enough, to get yeah. back later because on. Because he does try to kill himself with his own motorbike and gets caught doing it. I don't know if it's that clear. I certainly read it as that at the start. I was like, yeah, I mean, he looks like he's just trying to uh, off himself, but... He manages to kind of talk his way out of it. And you know, I sort of semi-believed him, but only because of the way that Chiwetel Ejiofor acts in that scene. He seems mm. so likable that you're like, oh yeah, he probably didn't try and kill himself. <laughs> so this is where they're at. This is where their big mess of a life is at. And they it's all leading up to this moment in Harrods where they know... They'll be alone together, and in that moment, they can decide whether or not they're going to steal this diamond, which kind of sets up, like, the whole third third of the film is is kind of an action set piece. Yeah, it's a heist of people uh, with improper COVID mask usage. <laughs> so they get along to Harrods, and we see the chaos of, yeah, it's, they say it's, uh, it's the first time Harrods has been, been closed in a million years. Or something to that description. Everybody seems to know Linda, and that's why she's able to get Paxton in with his silly fake name. Because she, like, she, oh, also, it, it emerges that she has kind of hidden her relationship from her colleague for 10 years, which is not okay, really. I would be pretty annoyed if I were Paxton in those shoes. What do you think about that? I Like, I would that would be a deal breaker for me. I'd be like, what? We've been together 10 years and all your friends still think you're single. Yeah, I mean, she's clearly a racist. That's the only way that that can be read. Ah, that's why they had to cast him, because you wouldn't have gotten the racist subtext if they'd cast Killian Murphy. I'm shocked and appalled. Well, Killian Murphy, like most Irish actors, is technically from everywhere on earth. There are two cameos who, yeah, as I said, this plot gets quite labyrinthine. We've kind of to mention, which I suppose we should mention, uh, Ben Stiller phones in as uh, Linda's boss. He, <laughs> he phones it in, literally, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Uh, it's mad. It's just, I suppose he agreed to do it. Yeah, and they wanted, they just thought, we let's get someone famous who's sitting around. But you know who I, who is actually contradictory to that? There are some pieces of very fitting, good casting in it. I mean, St- Steve Merchant as the head of Harrods security is just yeah, Steve Merchant yeah. doing his thing. Yeah, doing his normal role. Another interesting one was definitely Ben Kingsley, which is basically a sexy beast reprisal. And everybody knows it. That's what's kind of fun about it. And uh, But the best one, because it's so fitting for anybody who, who's seen The Square, and we have because we did our first podcast about it, is Clay's Bang. Clash Bang. Did you enjoy him? I think his English is getting better and better. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's basically, it's just an extension of all of his interactions with uh, Elizabeth Moss in the, squa- <laughs> in the square, isn't it? Yes, it's just yeah, like, absolutely. yeah, I want, to, I, re- I, wanted to, I was planning to fuck you that night, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> so the way is clear for um, Paxton and Linda to basically just banter around Harrods. They get a really expensive picnic and go to the roof is in probably the most Richard Curtis uh, section of the film, I would say. Um, and that that's something that does feel very Richard Curtis because it feels like Harrods propaganda. <laughs> I mean, you're just finding ways to shit on all the things that I found nice in the film, Andy. <laughs> posh, posh country. And I realize that sounds ironic with my posh cunt accent. Indeed. Um, but yeah, yeah, I know where you're really from. I've seen the mean streets of um, Leith. I did like uh, that section. And then when it finally gets down to it, to them 
stealing the diamond. By the way, we neglected to say uh, Paxton got in a police chase earlier. That's why he got his mojo back. I should have mentioned <laughs> that. It, but that just that felt so throwaway even at the time. It was like, mm. yeah, I just ev- evaded the police. Uh, we couldn't show you any of that because the budget wouldn't stretch that far. But yeah, yeah, know, yeah. just take my word for it. And, th- and that was actually a real pity, I was thinking, because I would have loved to have seen a a motorbike chase around empty London. That sounds really cool. And yeah, but- although I, I wonder if they could have pulled off empty London because this was filmed during a period where London wasn't locked down. Oh, yeah, that's true. Like I say, this whole plot is happening that we don't need to understand it. They can steal a diamond, which, of course, they're going to because that's the way the film is going because they've also recently um, had sex again. Just before they left for the heist, they had sex again because he was all sexy nice. from, from his motorbike chase. So then she remembered, oh, yeah, I remember when I met you in... They name, they name a strange state that nobody ever goes to, North Dakota or something. I have been to North Dakota. <laughs> Fair just enough. To shoot, just to shoot down your theory there. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just, it's not something that people would normally say and I remember North Dakota. It's, I don't, I, that might not even be it, but it's some obscure state. So at this point, their relationship is semi-rekindled when they decide to steal the diamond, which is, I can't tell. Can you explain this, please? Why? What's with the fish tank? Why is it in a fish tank? Is that the real diamond or a fake diamond? No, no, that's a fake diamond. There are two diamonds. One of them is a real diamond, which is kept in security in the place, like in a kind of secure holding area. And the other one is just a fake one that's out on display, which is in a fish tank full of piranhas. Because reasons. Because that's what you that's because that's what people do in Harrods. That's how they display their gaudy wealth. Nice. Man, I'd love to do my shopping in Harrods. Anyway, they got their they swap out, they got their real diamond, and then they're gonna bugger off but as they're buggering off people are yelling out for edgar Allan poe over the uh over the intercom over the um tannoy tannoy which i think is a brand name yeah <laughs> <laughs> we're just gonna oh, how many times have we referenced i'm alan partridge season one <laughs> far too many <laughs> or is that season two? I, can't I don't know, but... Uh, basically an Alan Partridge podcast. I wonder where we could chart in Ireland as an Alan Partridge podcast. So then they might get pulled in because of Paxton's fake ID, but Mark Gatiss comes to the rescue. She reveals their uh, plan to him and he agrees to lie for them for no reason other than, ah, to hell with it, I like interracial couples. And then uh, Paxton and Linda, who were going to break up once uh, they had nicked the diamond, they decide they're going to uh, think some things over um, after the COVID lockdown is extended by two weeks. And that's the end of the film. Uh, okay, so you hated this. I liked it. I'm going to make a quick case. I wouldn't say it. I hated it. I wouldn't say I hated it, but go ahead. Okay, so my case, my case for it was that, okay, so they try to hit on some cathartic lockdown notes that probably a lot of people have felt. A. B. Yeah, it's set in a house that's too big for these people to afford in London, but so is everything that's been filmed in London ever. Get over it. I think the lockdown aspect might end it a bit too much reality for that to come off like it normally does, which is fair enough. Uh, And also, yeah, okay, they're these good looking movie star people. But I mean... That's kind of movie star's jobs is to star in stories really of heightened reality. Yeah, yeah, to be really good looking and star in heightened realities for us to try and relate to. And there were parts of it I did. And then also it ended in a nice note of escapism, which I enjoyed as well. Uh, yeah, I was, to be honest, I was all for this. I really got a lot out of this film, watched it with a pizza and it was a perfect pizza movie. You go. Now make your case to take it apart. Can't. That's, That's my it. case. Yeah, no, uh, I thought the film was fine, but uh, as I've stated right from the start, my main t- my main feeling was, why? Just why? Why are we doing this? Okay, Stephen Knight, you wrote it on a dare. How did you get Doug Liman? Why Doug Liman? Yeah, I that's... mean, there's a there's a lot of handheld mm. filming. When I was thinking back to some of his films, even stuff, you know, going back as far as Swingers. There's, he's comfortable with low-budget handheld filming, but obviously he's moved into a completely different sphere, and it's just... Well, Doug Why? Lyman also Why? has has definitely in in a strange. It doesn't seem like it to just glance at his filmography, but he has excelled as being a, a, a let's say a highly a, a commercial, <laughs> a highly commercial experimental filmmaker. I think, mm. okay. um, and I think this is just another example of that. Really, like 
Swingers is definitely a punt of a film. Do you know what I mean? And I would say, I would say, Go is too. The born when it gets to, like the born identity. Nobody was making films like that at that time when it came out, but it was hyper commercial. Even like yeah. e- even in its own odd little way, Mister and Mrs. Smith was a little bit experimental. It was kind of an exercise in star yeah. power more than anything else. And uh, Edge of Tomorrow. I mean, he the Edge of Tomorrow is great, by the way, if you haven't seen it. But he should kills the cruise the cruise missile every five minutes. You know. So I would say. Yeah. Yeah. This this what this would be in his wheelhouse. They'd be like it's kind of uh, not strictly commercial on paper, but you've got all the moving pieces you could use to make something work. Were you so inclined to, if you were enough of a craftsman, and I, I feel he is enough of a craftsman to pull this off, you would disagree, or it's just kind of the the idea of it annoyed you. It's fine. It's just, it's okay. It's just, there's not much to it. I understand if people need to work. Okay, great. That's the reason to make the film is that people need to work. And like you said, they premiered it on HBO Max. So it's not like they were reaching out. It's not like they were forcing, (laughs) trying to get a cinematic release even on it. It was what it was. It's just to give people something to watch while they're possibly locked down. It's just some throwaway entertainment. Originally, the budget was reported as $10 million, which would be insane. But uh, Doug Lyman claimed that the number, the true budget started with a three. So 30 million, I guess. (laughs) I hope not. When you consider what what that could have been spent on in a kind of Blumhouse type scenario. Mm. It's strange though, because this week I've been... This week, uh, I've been deeply immersed in just the idea of cinemas a lot because the latest issue of Empire was kind of curated by Edgar Wright with loads of famous directors saying their famous moments in the cinema and Empire released a three-hour podcast between with Quentin Tarantino and Edgar Wright just talking cinema and good moments in the cinema. And um, also then, like, when you look at the, the, the further pushbacks that there have been, like, for example, the James Bond film will not go out on streaming that would that will see a cinematic release they seem fairly confident in that just because they keep pushing it back and keep pushing it back and like the figures that have been reported that they would be they would look to i think hbo tried to buy that for 400 million to buy a release of that film for 400 million and they didn't sell it and it kind of makes sense because a bond film is going to make a billion you know what i mean yeah. it, it will in, in normal times yeah 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 yeah. so I, I think they're just waiting out the normal times and i feel like like a lot of talk is going float around that simultaneous release is the future um and i kind of think okay simultaneous release might be the future if you plan on making films like lockdown and that's not me saying it's bad like you're saying it's like this is a film designed to be watched at home it is designed for it but i mean and i I would say arguably the second film that we'll talk about you could just as easily watch it at home as in the cinema it's not particularly big screen cinematic even though i'd love to watch it on a big screen and i'd love to see uh, Bunsen and Moorhead uh, do something for a big screen. Bunsen burner. I, I feel like lockdown, ironically, would be a good argument for the fact that uh, oh no, cinemas will be fine once they're allowed to open up again because ultimately those type of films, when they're made for a big screen, make billions. Mm-hmm. The end. Yeah, rant over. Anyway, it's fine. Lockdown is fine. I wouldn't really recommend it to anyone, but I feel like you would. I would, yeah. I felt it was a nice Friday evening uh, enter- piece of entertainment. I mean, bear I mean, in mind, I spe- like I'm basically spend much of my time looking for affable entertainment to satisfy my heavily pregnant girlfriend and eat pizza with. So, and if <laughs> if you can tick all of those boxes, lockdown might just be for you. Shall we move into the second movie film? Yurt. Synchronic is a 2019 American science fiction horror film directed and produced by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead and written by Benson. It stars Jamie Dornan and Anthony Mackie as a pair of EMTs who encounter some strange OD victims who, after ingesting a new designer drug, appear to briefly travel through time for around seven minutes because reasons... Synchronic is Moorhead and Benson's fourth full-length feature after a trio of outlandish horror films, 2012's Resolution, 2014's Spring, which is set in Italy, and 2017's The Endless. This week I watched two out of the three. I didn't have time to watch Spring. As we mentioned earlier, no spoilers, but uh, The Endless is an ingenious expansion of the world of Resolution. 
uh, and all of the films involve Lovecraftian horror tropes. You don't really recall The Endless that well, right? Uh, not well enough to discuss it, um, but I, no, I recall right. all um, all plot points. And I, I just think, like, considering as well how short all of their films are, they're, a ter- they're, a, they're good guys to just watch them all together, particularly, like, uh, Endless and Resolution. Just watched Resolution last night, and I'll probably watch The Endless today at some point. But suffice to say, I... I thought they were both really, really terrific, um, and I thought and I thought Synchronic was even better, to be honest. You mentioned that they have the potential, if given a lot of money, mm. to create something to create something Nolan-y. But I think uh, one not, of if I might not quite Nolan-y. What I mean to say is that Nolan very much cut his chops in his early days by showing he could do amazing things with small budgets. And gradually showed he could just, he had the ideas to expand into massive ideas as well. And I think these guys do too, to be yeah, honest. Thank, thankfully, uh, Moorhead and Benson are slightly better with dialogue. So they've got that yeah, going for definitely, them. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, There's some funny stuff. Oh, yeah, like everything about uh, the, uh, all of their films. But again, I'll say I think Synchronic is their best film so far. And uh, I haven't seen Spring, I will. But I uh, like... Every, like everything about it made me sort of excited. I was just th- yeah, like, it's if, fun. It, yeah, yeah, like it, it's fun, and it's also like just a an abject uh, lesson in really, really, really good screen screenwriting because it ju- it nudges you along with its central concept, all the while building themes in the background and kind of not in a garish way. Do you know what I mean? This is the kind of lockdown entertainment that I would prefer. Rather than seeing a, ref- a reflection of people in lockdown, I'd rather watch some insane time travel thing. With regards to them being able to expand into um, big screens and big ideas, like they're going to be in Marvel soon enough. They're doing um, Moon Knight, which I have tracked down some issues of, and I'm going to have a read of it before they produce for it. But I feel like that could be a very good one for them or it could be like a death knell in their career who knows you know what i mean but with uh, with synchronic i just felt like okay if you want to make a time travel if you want to if you want to make a movie about anything and you have their kind of spare way of writing and you can just cut out all the unnecessary fat and keep your central conceit like i haven't got the the budget on this how much was this made for andy well, it's funny that you mentioned that. I was just going to come to that. So Synchronic premiered at TIFF, that's the Toronto International Film Festival, in 2019 before being acquired and finally getting a cinematic release in October 2020, grossing $1 million worldwide. Last month, the film was released on video on demand. I looked around all over the place and couldn't find anything about the budget, so I messaged Aaron Moorhead on Reddit. As yet, he has not replied. <laughs> Son of a bitch. But Aaron, if you're listening to this, we should definitely hang out. Maybe you'd like to consider me for a role in Moon Knight. I could be a sarcastic passerby, for example. I'm just spitballing here. This is Ireland's number eight film review podcast, after all. And we need to start we need to start wielding our clout, as the kids call it. Anything uh, to get me clo- anything to get me closer to Peyton Reed, the world's finest ant-based filmmaker. <laughs> right, they bring me into the bring me into the Marvel Cinematic or TV universe. I'm not picky. Uh, <laughs> Either one is fine. Okay, so Tell we don't know. It was cheap. It's cheap. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, one more thing: the soundtrack for Synchronic, along with both Spring and The Endless, is provided by Jimmy Laval a.k.a. The Album Leaf. If you're not familiar with his work, I highly recommend checking it out, especially the album he did with Mark Kozalik, 2013's Perils from the Sea, although Kozalik has since been cancelled, so make sure you only listen to Laval's parts and, and put your fingers <laughs> in your ears when you, when you hear any singing. Why did he get cancelled? Because he, he was a musician, because he was a rock star and he did bad things. Oh, all right. ladies. Okay, fair so enough. So don't, don't listen to Mark Kozalik. He's a bad man. At the start of the film, we're thrown right into the action. A man and woman lying on a bed in a hotel room both take pills marked with an S for Synchronic. The man leaves to go get some ice and gets into the lift. They both start to trip major ball sack <laughs> in the room. The woman sees an old tribes person wearing a COVID-style face wearing mask. Wearing a face mask, as yes. A snake's, 
Yeah, as a snake slivers towards a bed. In the lift, the man is transported to the middle of the desert. Unfortunately, there was no lift in this time period, so he plummets to his death. Immediately, we've been presented with what could either be past or future time periods, and Moorhead and Benson have shown that they can generate very impressive imagery and effects on an extremely limited budget. Mm. What, did, what did you make of the? I assume, like me, you were you were just in at this point. Going, oh like, yeah, Whoa. I mean. This is what Whoa. I meant by it's like a screenwriting uh, lesson. It's like exciting incident. Boom. I mean, there you go. It's just like, yeah, okay, I'm in. Yeah. What yeah. are we doing? I'm ready. Yeah. There's nothing. They're just directly into this, yeah, just insanity. And it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting and exciting and different. In the next scene, we meet paramedics Steve and Dennis, played by Anthony Mackie and Jamie Dornan. They respond to a call in a rundown neighborhood. The film was shot in Mackie's native New Orleans, and you can definitely feel the grimy nature of the city. For sure. The people in the house also appear to have taken the synchronic drug and are now in various states of disrepair. One of them has been run through with a three-foot sword. Mackie finds a very old coin and another, another sword sticking in the wall. He also accidentally pricks himself with a needle. And all of this is done with an impressive tracking shot taking us through the house as if we were also present at the scene. Yeah, it's great. It's not showy. It's it's the like the the best type of tracking no. shots are the are the ones yeah. where five minutes in you go, oh wait, this hasn't cut, has it? Not oh my god, yeah, they're not yeah. cutting. So like I, I, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm all for that. It reminded me of well, I mean, it's also an unbroken shot, but just in like how good it was. Um, uh, have you, did you watch True Detective? Yeah, yeah, I know. You're t- it was early on in season one, and uh, yeah, Matthew yeah, McConaughey yeah. goes into like a, a crack house. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They do a big, long uh, one take. Yeah, yeah and, and I remember the next day somebody saying to me uh, that they hadn't cut it, and I had to go back and watch it, rewatch it, because uh, you know you're so into the action and so that you're not paying attention. But that means that 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 means that that fluid tracking shot is doing its work rather than making mm-hmm. making you notice the fact that it's not cutting. Anyway, mm-hmm. we've got Anthony Mackie and Jamie. Dornan. I like Anthony Mackie. I think he's a very good everyman and uh, he's very charismatic and watchable and everything. But yes. this was the first time I think I'd seen Jamie Dornan in anything and uh, I thought he's pretty good in a low-key Jake Johnson type of way because I'd only ever heard of Jamie Dornan as uh, the Fifty Shades of Grey man. Well, yeah, okay, fair enough. It's interesting. I listened to um, some interviews uh, that he did for press for this movie and people kept... Uh, they would say star of A, B and C. And then only in the Empire podcast did they kind of comment, oh, I see that he's just completely taken the Fifty Shades movie out of his press releases. Nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, which is, a, which is a capital move all around. He's also, he did a show which I actually really hardly recommend with Gillian Anderson a few years back called The Fall. About a oh, I heard about that, yeah. That's really excellent, and he's really excellent in it. It's not about uh, the story of Marky e. Smith. No, no, it is not. <laughs> it's I a shame. Certainly. I would certainly watch that. The next scene sets up both a lot of character background and an important location. It's filmed Mm. down by the waterfront in New Orleans. Steve and Dennis are at a barbecue in the park. We find out that Steve is single and a bit of a ladies' man. Mm -hmm. And we find out that Dennis is married with a wife and young baby, but that he also has an 18-year-old daughter, Brianna, who Steve has distinctly weird vibes with. Did you notice that from Uncle Steve? No, I didn't. I didn't get that uh, vibe. Uh, mm. Did you? Did you think mm. that they were going to have uh, have a bit of sexual? This could okay. be revealing more about <laughs> than about the film. Okay. <laughs> but uh, instead of uh, having sex with his friend's daughter in a grossly inappropriate manner, Steve ends up going home with some lady. Uh, I wanted to draw attention to the next short scene because I have a question. Uh, okay. And you can make sure that your, your girlfriend is not in the room for this. But have you ever had a one night stand and said to the woman you just met, hey, let yourself out and lock the door behind you? No. Is that a thing that ever happens? Because I feel like we've we've talked, I've had similar questions about film dating <laughs> before. And this well, is another one. Does this happen outside of films? No. I, I was always more of the sort of bent, which is why I got out of that whole game. It would be, uh, I would just wake up and just think, like, because I would often work on Sundays. I remember on a couple of occasions waking up with company, let's say, and not having to work that Sunday and just thinking, oh, good God. I've got to wait for this lady to to leave before I can enjoy my Sunday. 
But at the same time, Mackie's apartment just looks like a total shithole. So, I mean, what's she going to steal except from the lovely dog? Yeah, the lovely dog. Nothing bad's going to happen to the dog. To be fair, though, he lives in New Orleans and this is this is the nicest house in the city of New Orleans. (laughs) This Um, This is a mansion. This is like the London lockdown equivalent. It's a really boozy movie, isn't it? Yeah, they, there are about three scenes of uh, Stephen Dennis just sitting in bars, drinking multiple whiskeys. Yeah, like... Um, they, go, they go to a strip club. Frequently. That's right. They do, yeah. They, they go to a strip club and like he leaves his like, lady at home to go to a strip club. I thought that was a bit mad. By the way, you mentioned this, but I didn't pick up on this. Is his uh, longtime girlfriend not the mother of his daughter? No, I think they are. I think they just happen to have, there's a 17-year gap in between their two kids. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was, yeah. uh, I think they are both the biological parents. Yeah. No, 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 because I think the implication there is that they would have stayed together initially because they had her very young. Stephen Dennis respond to another couple of calls for some people who were burned to death at an old abandoned theme park. And then the hotel from the first scene of the film. It turns out that the lady on the bed was bitten by a snake not native to the New Orleans area. There's a, oh. there's a fun little scene with the, uh, the guy who works in the hotel who happens to be a big snake expert. Yeah, he's a snake nerd. I, I liked that. That was... Um... <laughs> I, I just think that's kind of just great screenwriting. Yeah, um, yeah, I think so too. It was funny. It's just a funny little character who's yeah, too yeah. super into snakes. <laughs> and they're they're just bumbling along like with the film. <laughs> Meanwhile, just you're, they are filling you in on plot, but it's also conversational yeah. and loose. I, I loved it. So it turns out that the man in the lift fell to the bottom of the shaft where he got smashed into big gooey pieces. Around this time, Steve goes for an MRI, which reveals that he has a massive brain tumor on his pineal gland, rather conveniently for the plot. There's a fun, <laughs> there's one fun, fun point where uh, Steve's getting shit by text and, <laughs> and he's written out a text that says something like, I've got a brain tumor in capital letters. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then he, he goes like, he goes, maybe I'll delete that. <laughs> it might be a bit too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was but That, that was would good. be a great fuck you to just send. For sure, just I would be dropping that bomb on like p- yeah. pizza delivery guys who are late. <laughs> could you could you do the washing up? <laughs> Lo siento, señor. Hay mucho tráfico. I have a brain tumor. Dennis's eighteen-year-old daughter Brianna, who's a bit worked up about her future, goes out to a party. Later, Steve responds to a call at that party, where it's revealed that Brianna took some chronic and disappeared completely. Steve goes to the local head shop and buys all the doses of Synchronic available before running into a shady character outside who offers to buy them from him at a much higher price. I would just like to interject and just add, can we talk a little bit about designer drugs? Because I don't know where you were, uh, I'm going to say around 2009, where there was a kind of a designer drugs boom, certainly in Ireland, which that's the idea of this here. And to be honest... I thought this, the designer drug uh, boom was just such an interesting thing to happen that I did think, okay, eventually somebody's going to make some kind of movie about that. And I would not have suspected that it would have been a designer drug version of Ayahuasca, which I believe is what they're going for here. Yeah. But um, yeah, just fairly mad. So I, where, did, you, did you have any experience of this phenomenon? I'm not asking, did you take the drugs? I'm just asking, did, were you aware of them? When I lived in Tokyo the first time in 2003, 2004, Japan as a country is extremely conservative, as I think everyone knows. So yeah. they frown on any drugs, but there were a lot of insane legal drugs that were super powerful, mm. <laughs> I'm led to believe, <laughs> that, that were available on the streets. So uh, it was kind of mad, well, not yeah. traveling through time, but not far off it. There was a mad period in Ireland where even like small towns would have five or six head shops, all of them selling like bath salts that was essentially cocaine substitute you could get uh, like many varieties of ecstasy substitute and people like honestly you would like i remember absolutely true one time just walking into a head shop to buy cigarette papers of all things and it was a friday and there was just all the most normal looking people queuing up to buy legal cocaine Mm. Like it was a, it's just a, just a mad thing. It, I mean, it's, if anything, it was, it's kind of a, an argument for the legalization of drugs because I mean, they'd surely be better off than this kind of designer crack. You know what I mean? Because the general nature with these designer drugs is they try to what mimic the chemical reaction 
of the actual drugs, but using whatever components they can get their hands on. That's how you end up traveling through time. And that's how you end up traveling through time. All right, back to the film. Steve runs into this shady character outside the local head shop who offers to buy all of the doses of Synchronic at higher price. Steve refuses. At home, Steve is woken in the middle of the night by the same man hiding in his closet. The man reveals himself to be the creator of Synchronic and the, the drug alters our perception of time, which in a very Kurt Vonnegut move is presented as all happening simultaneously. Mm. Regretting having produced the drug, he's traveling around buying up all the doses to stop people taking it. What did you make of how time is shown to us or how it's explained? Much like the heist in lockdown, I, I don't think it matters too much. Uh, like, I, I got it. I got, and I think it made sense yeah, for yeah. the for the rescue plot as to how they're going to rescue the daughter. They yeah. can just go to where she was when she disappeared. But I mean, whatever. It's not. It's like it's it's more about having a, a sh okay for want of a better word a showy gimmick in the film. I mean, the, the yeah. like that's the the thing the the engine that makes the film work while at the same right. time setting off the themes of Jamie Dornan's life versus Anthony Mackie's life. Yeah. So low budget versus high concept. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's fine, but it's 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 basically like, I don't know, have you ever watched much Doctor Who, but when, like him explaining... No, I, I absolutely despise Doctor Who. As do I, to be honest, but I happen to have seen a little bit of it, and he will often explain away certain plot points by saying it's all just very timey-wimey, which... Is the exact Fair kind enough. of quirky, quirky stuff that you probably hate Doctor Who for, but anyway, Basil exposition. Yeah, 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 that kind of crack. I mean, he's like he does a little bit of a drawing there, but it's like, yeah, don't need that. That's okay. <laughs> You're not Shane Carruth. Relax. In the next few scenes, Steve experiments with the drug to try to find Brianna. Apparently, kids who take the drug can disappear forever because their pineal glands are all soft, whereas adults' glands are all crusty and hardened mm. and covered in in, in gunk. Luckily, Steve's pineal gland tumor allows him to stay in another time period for longer than seven minutes if he wants. Steve's first trip to the past takes him to a swamp where an alligator swims towards him and a big conquistador guy tries to fuck him up. Mm. On his next trip, he's transported to an ice age where he's dangerously underdressed, ending up nearly freezing to death. Throughout this process, he's narrating his experiences to a video camera, which I enjoyed, obviously. Especially his observation where he says, observation number two, the past fucking sucks, man. Yeah, 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 it's brilliant. So uh, just to jump in a little bit here. First of all, odd you should bring up, like Doctor Who ended up coming up. Fair enough, I brought it up, but it wasn't to bring up this, which was one of my notes was that just how good the trips through time look, you would so be able to get on board. And I know Doctor Who is a, supposed to be a children's show, but even if they kept the, the clunky dialogue if they yeah. paid just a smidgen of the attention to the aesthetic of the past that they give yeah, in this yeah. film you might be a little bit more on board because it's just it's very transportative like particularly the the, ver the where he goes to the i don't know the really cold place when he's in the ice age you know i mean that's just that just feels amazing to see yeah I, yeah, yeah it's yeah, I absolutely love that. And then the second is, at the moment I'm reading Steve Pinker's book, uh, The Better Angels of Our Nature, uh, which is all about how violence has declined over the years. And he's got a whole section of the book called The Past is a Foreign Country, where mm. the whole sentiment of uh, maybe 200 pages of the book is actually summed up very well by Anthony Mackie here by just saying the past fucking sucks, man. Which, yeah, the past is just awful. Awful. Well... With this being a recent film, I remembered to check out the Reddit discussion thread on it. And my favorite comment was, Synchronic is Louis C.K.'s observation that black people can't mess with time machines put into movie form. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably true, actually. Because most of the time, uh, Anthony Mackie travels, he travels to another time period and people are like, ah, ah black guy, get him. <laughs> In the next scene, they really double down on that idea because Steve is transported back to the 1920s or 30s and has to escape a bunch of KKK members, ultimately losing his dog in the process. Whoops. Oh, yeah, that's a tough scene. I also would like to mm -hmm. comment that I'm glad that Benson and Moorhead don't make boring hay with the race thing, you know? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's handled well. It's just shown that, like, the past was horrible. Yeah, but they don't and, uh, they don't enamel not, some not a good some, place to be black. They don't enamel some ideology onto the whole thing. It's just 
it's just how the how it is. But you know what I mean? It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. After this, Steve comes to the conclusion that the time period you jump to is linked to the physical location where you ingest the drug. So he heads over to the party where Brianna disappeared as and is transported to a time where a group of black cultist types chase him up a tree. Throughout the film, it's not really clear whether these time periods are past or future, which is something that I quite like. There's a bit of discussion as to as to where some of them, when some of them take place. And this is another one here that I'm not really sure exactly who these people are. They appear to be practicing voodoo. They're all dressed the same, so they look like escaped slaves. Mm, that's what it is. Anyway, Steve reveals to Dennis that he has a brain tumor and he knows how to bring Brianna back. They head down to the scene of the barbecue earlier where Brianna had been sitting on a big rock in the earlier scene. One of her favorite places, which had the word always carved into it, the last thing that Dennis said to her before she disappeared. Steve takes the drug there and is transported to what appears to be a revolutionary war battle. He finds Brianna, but a weird hobbit-looking guy tries to take Steve as a slave. In the end, Brianna makes it back and Steve is trapped in the past where medical care for brain tumours is rudimentary at best. It is revealed that Steve carved the word into the rock. Before the time portal closes, Steve and Dennis shake hands through time like men. <laughs> the end? Question mark? It's like the ending of Inception. It's not 100% whether he's stuck back there, but that, the point no, no, is... No, he's stuck. He's stuck. Surely it's that is a hundred percent. Well, otherwise, no, no. Otherwise, they would. Uh, well, okay, fair enough. What I'm, my point is, it is it doesn't matter. Yeah, true. Because uh, he has a brain tumor. Agreed. <laughs> no, because it's a movie and it's a fun way no. to end the movie. That's that's what I was saying. It's like whenever people are t prying about the end of Inception, it's like, is it a dream? Is it not a dream? It's like it it doesn't matter. There's not going to be a sequel, man. Like it's just to it, the the whole point of the end of Inception is to have you concentrating on the spinning top just at the moment the screen goes black, and I feel that that's kind of what they were going for with this too. Steve, wait, Steve, now back in time is going to write a big tome informing people about uh investing in gamestop <laughs> i think he's That's just gonna, he's going to affect the future he's just gonna bet on the ggs i feel mm, there's or, there's that or he's gonna maybe he's gonna stop 9-11 start a cult around his digital watch i definitely loved this i thought this was absolutely fantastic what about you i think it's good i probably enjoyed resolution and the endless more but that's I, just because i mean I, I i love a time travel film Mm. But for some reason, the fact that Resolution and The Endless are interconnected, something about expanding the, their own universe, just when I can, I didn't watch them in order. That was the crazy thing. I watched The Endless first and then Resolution, but like within half an hour of each other. Uh. So to watch the sequel and then watch the first film as like a prequel that expands a scene that I'd already seen in the second film, just that kind of blew my mind the way that I watched it. So those two sticky those two are, are slightly stronger for me for that reason but i'm looking forward to watching spring as well and i would I, recommend this people who's re i'd recommend this film to people who want like a kind of uh low budget b movie that's entertaining cool beans all right well i mean a better week for me than it was for you i suppose but there you <laughs> go <laughs> i'm glad that you brought synchronic to the table because i'm going as I, i'm going to watch all the moorhead and benson's i've only got one more to see Oh, yeah, and then yeah. eventually I'll watch Moon Knight or I'll, I will be starring in Moon Knight with Oscar Isaac. Okay, well, so what are you bringing to the table this week? This week I opted for a film by one of the new voices in contemporary westerns, Chloe Zhao, another woman of colour. What is happening to this podcast? Uh, I've heard great things about Zhao's films, but as yet I've seen none of them. Most recently, she's been putting the finishing touches on her MCU effort Eternals, which is due to be released in November 2021. Can she match up to some of this Marvel cinematic heavyweights, such as world's greatest filmmaker Peyton Reed, director of Ant-Man and the Wasp? I'm ready to find out. You haven't said the film. The Rider. Sorry, did, did I interrupt? Were you giving a dramatic pause there? <laughs> no. All right. Fair enough, because I was like, what? Say, say the name of the fucking film, Andy. Uh, the Rider. Oh, the writer. 2017. Well, what I'm bringing is, I've actually, I've seen The Writer. Um, I would watch it again. It was Sorry. really, really, that's okay. It was really please, good. Please don't spoil it for me by telling me that it involves riding or horses or cowboys 
or head inf- nothing of the sort or head injuries. What? Uh, okay, or a really good profile. You bastard. Clo- well, no, that's not a spoiler. Let me just tell you right out that. Just, is- <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> I don't need to know anything. Uh, and a, a really good profile of Chloe Zhao in last month's Empire magazine, which people okay. could read. Uh, what I'm bringing to the table is one that's been on my list for a long, long time. 1999's Takashi Miike a horror film audition, which I very recently on the Evolution of Horror podcast heard a Jalo expert say was his favorite favorite ever horror film so looking forward to that if i win all right i haven't seen audition but it's something that i've been planning to watch forever and i'm fully aware of the plot and most of the the key elements of it but i just never got around to it so oh i'm not the best man win all right cool beans okay you've got the coin yeah your options are 20 or weird cult like uh circle thing give me the cult circle thing It's 20. Hey, all right. We're going through a pattern. I feel like you're going to win for the next five weeks. <laughs> Sorry. Right. So tell me what so I could have won. T- well, what you could have won for my companion pick, I decided to go for another Takeshi Miike film. I've only seen one of his films, Ichi the Killer, and mm-hmm. I wasn't uh, a massive fan of that. Yeah, so that's, I, I that's was choose something. I was going to choose something a bit more fun, and that was Ace Attorney. The uh, film from 2012 is an adaptation of the series of video games, Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney which are text-based courtroom mysteries. So uh, that's why I was going to choose. Kind that's of glad to don't have to watch it now. A text-based... Well, I mean, I'm just glad to hear about this but game. They, they, this they, is a they, video game. Yeah, oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a series of games. Uh, Phoenix, Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney. It's uh, um, a kind of over-the-top manga-style courtroom game where you have to... The character goes, Objection! It's fun. <laughs> That so uh, Miki made a film of that. All right. Well, so what I'm going to bring to the what I'm going to bring to a company, I'm going to be boring and just pick uh, the latest film by the same director. I'm going to pick uh, 2020's Nomadland, another Chloe Zhao film, good starring Francis McDormand. I'm very happy. Was that what you nice, were hoping because for? Because I wanted, I, yeah, I wanted to watch that, and and I need to be obligated to watch these things. So thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus, it'll be, it's fun actually watching um, d- the good pairings, like of the same director. Yeah. I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying it when we when we do that. And this is just perfect because this came out last year as well, and it's supposed to be very good. Have- All right. Well, looking forward to a big indie spirited Sundance Film Festival style independent film double bill this week with uh, two Chloe Zhao pictures. It's goodbye from me, Donica Tiernan. I'm off to drink uh, to finish off my cold coffee and not have to worry about uh, messing up Andy's audio. And it's goodbye. For me, Andy J. Ritchie, and uh, I'm off to Milan. Goodbye.